We're going to be looking at that text we read earlier in the service from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, once more, as we will be looking at verses 13 down to verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7. This is part of Jesus' sermon on the mount. And we're going to be asking the question here this evening as we look at this text, these verses from Matthew chapter 7, asking the question, are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? I wonder, has anyone ever asked you that question? Out of concern for your soul, asked you, do you know where you're going to spend an eternity? And it's a very important question. With an answer that will matter, not just after this week, after the Lord's table, the next Sabbath day. It will matter not just then, but in 10 years' time. Not just in 10 years' time, but in 100 years' time. Not just in 100 years' time, but in 1,000 years' time. 10,000 years' time. Actually, beyond time itself. It is one of the most important questions you'll ever answer. Where are you going to spend eternity? Are you going to heaven? Are you going to spend an eternity in the presence, the blessed presence, near God for eternity? We also have to ask this question before we look at our text. Do you want to go to heaven? No. If you ask somebody in the street, do you want to go to heaven? Everyone would say, yes. Very few people would say, oh yes, I would love to go to hell. But I'm not talking about the heaven of popular culture. I'm not talking about the heaven of our imagination. I'm talking about the the heaven of scripture. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Heaven is heaven because we enjoy him in greater fullness than we ever will in the sight of eternity. And dear friends, if we ever put before most people in the street what true heaven is that we will worship him forever and ever, most would admit that they do not want to go to such a place. The real heaven, the place of wonderful blessings for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Where are you going when you die? When you breathe your last breath? Everywhere around us, the creation, the world screams that there's something wrong. There's death, suffering, decay all around us. And so as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper next Lord's Day, We need to be able to have an answer for this question. Are you going to heaven? Because it is only those who are on their way to that celestial city, that heavenly Jerusalem, to spend an eternity with God, should be coming to the table of the Lord. No one else should come. Only those who trust in Jesus alone. Only those who've turned their back 
on the world. Only those who have a home in heaven. Only those who have no confidence in their own works. And as we point this out, we're also not saying perfect people. None of us would meet that standard. There's only one who has met that standard. Who has ever walked upon the face of the earth. And that is Jesus himself. And we're going to be seeing in our text. All of us who are on that road to our heavenly Jerusalem. All of us on, our, on that road to our true home in heaven. Travel a difficult road. A very hard Road, And that's from the very weakest of us to the strongest of us. There's all sorts of different Christians. Some of us have very little fruit to show. Some of us have much more fruit to show. But the Lord's table is there for all. Christ is there for every believer who will come to him. But we must, as we approach the Lord's table, be sure that we are not self-deceived. Because our text will actually deal with that as well. So our first point that we're going to look at, from verses 13 to 23, is by Christ we enter. By Christ we enter. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. As we said at the beginning of the sermon, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of this sermon, Jesus lovingly warns, carefully Warns a religious generation. And Jesus is not just loving. He is love itself. Because he is true God. See friends. We must not forget that love. Not only will encourage. Yes. But it will also warn. Warn of the dangers. If you have people who love you in your life. They will warn you about dangers. He lovingly warned a religious but hardened generation. Their hearts were hardened to the truth. A generation which thought they were okay. All they needed to do was the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah would come, he would get rid of these Roman invaders who were ruining their lives. They just thought that's all that needed to be changed for many of them. It was also a generation that swarmed around Jesus. With their physical ears, they heard Jesus. With their physical ears, they were very interested in what Jesus had to say. But they failed to hear him spiritually. They often failed to hear where and when it mattered. Jesus teaches them about a gate to enter, a straight gate... As it says here. Or you could say a narrow gate. You see many of them hadn't entered into this straight or confined gate. Many of them had gone a wider 
Okay, because it says here, many there be which go in thereat. Many, not just few. Actually, what's unpopular, Jesus is saying, is that they've entered in through this gate. He's really pointing out to them, not all is what it seems for that generation which was around him. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, gives us the idea of how many came around him to listen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, and there, found, and, they fo- and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Now imagine if there was a visiting preacher coming and loads of people came from different parts of Scotland to hear him preach. You think, oh, something is mightily at work. But while they were listening to him with their ears, their physical ears, many of them had not entered into the straight and confined gate. It says, many there be which go thereat. And then in verse 14, it says, few there be that, that find it, this life, because straight is the gate. Many, they want another gate, a gate that is easier to enter. A wide gate, a spacious gate. But there's only one way to enter. There's only one who is the door. In John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 verses 7 to 9. John chapter 10 verses 7 to 9. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is pointing out that he is the way. And not the Christ of imagination not the Christ that they thought that they were going to find but the true Jesus this Jesus was the Christ he is the only way all other ways ignore Jesus all other ways say that there's many ways all other ways also reject the perfect righteousness of Christ all the ways say well we're good people all other ways will say you can be religiously good enough The Pharisees thought that. All other ways reject what Jesus alone could do. All other ways were broad and white gates or doors or entrances. And they were attractive to fallen, sinful men. Attractive to his desire, attractive to his his flesh. No one minds, do they, if, if you say you're a Christian. If you're at work and you say you're a Christian, people are usually okay with that until you say, oh, but what about this nice Muslim? Is he going to heaven? Or what about, but when you say that Jesus is the only way, that this is the, the straight and narrow gate which you must enter, then it's offensive. Then that is a message that is clearly being rejected by those who do not trust in him. See, friends, all other doors lead to hell, destruction, 
death. The devil wants us to not trust in that one way. So what about you here this evening? Are you trusting in Jesus? That gate. Have you entered in unto life? Have you trusted that he is the only door? Are you looking to him and away from sin? Now, yes, we look to Jesus. You might say. And that sounds easier. We, we, we like other ways in this narrow and straight way. By nature. But you're only going to see Jesus as wonderful. And as a way to enter into life. If God has given you life. By faith you look to Christ. And what do you see? You see beauty. You see a wonderful way. A way to leave behind death, despair, and destruction. And to find life and liberty. There is no other way as Jesus is the only way. So by Christ, we enter. By Christ, we enter. Number two now, by Christ, we walk. By Christ, we walk. If you have entered, we do not come to a point in our Christian life that we leave Jesus behind. You might that may seem very obvious. But there are people you will talk to, and they will almost say, if you share the gospel with them, they'll say, Well, I've I've taken care of that. By Christ, we walk. We never leave Christ behind. We depend on him for everything. He's not just Friends, a means to avoid hell. He's not just a means for our best life now. He is the very life that we need. He is the truth, the way, and the life. I'll put it another way. He's not just the beginning of salvation. He's the middle of salvation. He's the end of salvation. He is the reason for salvation because we can enjoy him forever. He is the entrance to a wonderful way that leadeth unto life, eternal life. Verse 14, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The way is narrow. The way is narrow. Why is the way narrow? Because it is by Christ, and we walk in a fallen world. We contend with the difficulties and the afflictions of the world, the flesh, and the devil. How do we understand this narrow way? Well, this this way is literally in the original, it's kind of this idea of being compressed. Being compressed in. It's restricted. It's confined Not because Jesus, now we must be careful with this, not because Jesus is not wonderful. In other parts of scripture, we see that his burden is light at the end of Matthew chapter 11. But to follow Jesus in this fallen world does not come without afflictions. To follow Jesus in this fallen world does not come without suffering. It doesn't come without pain. It is a confined and restricted way. It brings challenges in this life. 
It is a compressed way, a way that is squeezed and oppressive and afflicted. Again, not because the way of Jesus is not wonderful. It is wonderful. His burden is easy and it is light. But we live in a fallen world. And we've also got our flesh to contend with. The world, the flesh, and the devil hates Christ. The flesh wars against this way. The devil has no love And we should know this as believers, has no love for those who walk in that narrow way, who follow in this narrow way. So it is constrained, it is constricted. John Trapp said this about this verse it is a wonderful, it is a wondrous strait, not of itself, for Christ's yoke is easy and his burden light. But we make it so hard and heavy to ourselves by our singular peevishness and perverseness. The challenges of this walk are not because of Christ. Christ is wonderful. To follow him is a joy. The the, the thing is, friends, we live in a fallen world. Now, in our text, we mentioned there was all these multitudes from different parts of Judea and Jerusalem and Decapolis and other places. So they're listening to Jesus saying these words. What did they do? Did they follow, typically, did most of them follow in the narrow way? Did most of them love the narrow way? Or did they go the way that pleased the flesh? Generally. Romans 8.13. Turn briefly to Romans chapter 8. And verse 13. Which says this. Romans 8 verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh. Ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit. Do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall die. Live. The first part is the broad way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go thereat. Verse 13 If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. If you just say, whenever the flesh tempts you, and you, oh yes, I'll, I'll follow that. You're, you're a slave to your lust, you're a slave to your sin. That is that broad road which many follow in our culture today. Pleases the flesh. Doesn't understand the word no. But that constrained and narrow way that leadeth unto life. Is a, is a life of saying no to the flesh. If ye through the spirit do mortify. That's a challenge. That's an affliction. That's a difficulty. If ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall live. Putting to death the desires of the flesh. But did they want that when when they listened to Jesus in that day? Friends, do you want that? When you hear this, do you say, this is the way I wish to walk? In that day, there were many false prophets. As there was centuries before this as well. But 
Christ then says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. Why in the midst of this would he warn of false prophets? You don't have to look very far today in our own culture to see false prophets. You turn on Christian television for more than a minute. You'll see enough of these false prophets usually begging for for money, for for the latest thing. Which come to you in sheep's clothing. You see, friends, those who often walk in that broad road that leadeth unto destruction, what kind of prophets do they listen to? They may be religious. But they often listen to false prophets. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the true prophet of Israel? The high priest who came to teach his people. They, will, they claim to love Jesus. And many in Jesus' day claimed that they could not wait to have the Messiah come. But it was a different Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah who was not going to suffer. Even Peter himself struggled with this idea. They claimed to love Jesus. They claimed to love God. They claimed to want the son of David. But did they really? Did they really want that suffering servant described in Isaiah 53? That would be, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. Did they want that suffering servant? Outwardly, they look like sheep. Outwardly. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They they come very friendly and lovingly. But inwardly, what are they? Perhaps they would get rich from claiming to follow Christ, but really they do not. False prophets want the praise of men, not the praise of God. Now, friends, do you face difficulties in your work? Perhaps with your friends from years ago, and you're, you're having challenges and difficulties because of your faith. It's a narrow road. It's difficult. It's, it's a challenge. There's afflictions on the way to our heavenly Jerusalem. Come to the table the Sabbath morning. The table is especially for the struggling believer, the afflicted believer, that walked this road by Christ, because they love Christ. You especially need food and drink from the Savior. You may be going through difficulty and you think, for whatever reason, I need to stay away. That is not the case, friend. You especially need that encouraging, those tokens of love that the Lord has set before his people in the bread and the wine. Friends, he's given us his life. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us his life so that we would walk in a way of life. While we're here on this earth. And we need encouragement. That road is a, it's a challenging, confined road. So, by Christ we enter, by Christ we walk. Number three now, by Christ we produce. By Christ we produce. We're all known by our fruit. We're all known by our fruit. But our spiritual fruit that we produce 
does not save us. Doesn't save us. Fruit will show, healthy fruit will show if there's a healthy root underneath the ground where the eye cannot see. What we can observe is the fruit. What is going on underneath the soil? What is happening with the root? Is there life? You will see health of a tree by examining the fruit of that tree. Verses 16 to verse 20 of our text. Verses 16 to verse 20 of our text. It says this. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you came to a lemon tree and you looked at the fruit, would you expect to see apples? Or you came to an orange tree, would you expect to see lemons? You will see and expect to see the fruit of that tree, what it is. Verse 17 once more, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Every good tree been brought into union with Christ. If you've been brought into union with Christ, God has done a work in your heart. What kind of fruit would you expect to see on that tree? A good root planted by the Holy Spirit. This is all God's work now we're talking about in the root. But the fruit, every good tree will produce good fruit. One with life. And it's not the fruit that saves. The fruit is evidence that something wonderful has happened in the soil. Underneath the ground where the eye cannot see. You know, people will often say, you can't read people's hearts. You can't. We can't know people's hearts, but we can see people's fruit. Fruit is evidence of life. The tree does not give life to itself, does it? But if we are in Christ, we have life. And there will be evidence of that life. Christ-like fruit. Because to be in Christ is to have life. To love Christ is to have life. To love Jesus. He's not just. I hope we see this here this evening. He's not just a means to an end. He's not just a means. So that when you breathe your last breath. You don't have to worry about spending an eternity in hell. He's far more than that. Western Christianity. Has so distorted Jesus. And God. And turned him into a means to an end. It is a tragedy. What we have done with the gospel. We have turned it into merely a way that we won't have to endure hell. But it's far more than that. It's far, far more than that. Yes, Christ has saved us from the wrath to come. That is an eternity in hell. But he has 
purchased something far more wonderful for us. Yes, heaven, but even in this world, we get to taste some of the wonderful fruit of Canaan, heavenly Canaan, even as we travel along the wilderness on our way to our heavenly Canaan. We have small tastes of that fruit. Life itself. The false prophets spoken about by Jesus preach and teach doctrines, which are really thorns and thistles. And Jesus asks the question in verse 16, do men gather grapes of thorns? Do you expect to find fruit among thorns? Do you expect to find figs of thistles? No, it will choke the life out of it. To the unregenerate ear, to those who don't have life, they listen to the doctrines and the teachings which choke the life with good Christ-like fruit. Do they gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? It doesn't even need a response, does it? So even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. You see, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. There's no grapes in verse 16, but in verse 17, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Christ-like fruit, because by Christ we produce. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my Commandments. What, what does that fruit look like? The keeping of the commandments of God. And I know you'll be thinking, well, I haven't kept the, the commandments of God perfectly. None of us have. I'm not talking about perfect fruit. I'm not talking about the perfect keeping of the law. That is Jesus. That's what he did. But there will be a difference between you and a lost person. And the more you grow, the more you follow Christ, you're going to notice a difference. We're not talking about perfect people. If you were perfect, Christ would not have to come and die for you. We're talking about fruit, imperfect fruit, but graciously accepted by God in and through Jesus Christ. We will follow Jesus. If we love Jesus, we will follow Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3. It gives us this idea in 1 John <coughs> chapter 3, a wonderful epistle that John writes dealing with mainly assurance of faith. And John the Apostle, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God, says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is Righteous, even as he is righteous. Verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of 
God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. And one of the things John, when he's writing through this epistle, this general epistle which is written to various different Christians at that time, and as he writes it to us as well by the Spirit of Almighty God, there's a difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. Oh, how we have seemed to have lost that in modern day Christianity. There will be a difference. Will you struggle? Yes. Will you sin? Yes. But will you be different? Yes. We will be different. There will be evidences of this love, of this wonderful work that God is doing in your heart. It mentions as well the love of our brothers. One of the things a lot of us can say, we can say we love a God who we do not see. But the great challenge to us as believers, do we love our brothers in Christ who are around us, who we do see? And we're difficult at times, aren't we? One of the biggest challenges is loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a great challenge. And that evidences good fruit. Do you have this good fruit? But perhaps you are here and I must warn. Perhaps you are in a dangerous place here this evening. Perhaps you have no love for Christ. The idea of worshipping Christ it fills your heart with boredom. It doesn't fill your heart with joy. And when you think about being around Christians, oh, you don't like it at all. Outwardly, you may look like you're doing pretty well. But do you love the church, Christ's bride? You see, if we do not produce good fruit, what does it warn us? Verse 19 of of Matthew chapter 7. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down or cut down and cast into the fire. Again, it's this idea of if this tree is dead, what will it be used for? And they knew this. They had illustrations of it all around them. They knew it's a dead tree. What's going to happen to it? It's firewood. Friends, do you love Christ? And if you love Christ, there will be evidence of it in your life. Some will produce more, some will produce less, but there will be evidence of it in your life. And our final point is by Christ we arrive. By Christ we arrive. So we've looked at by Christ we enter. We enter into that that straight and narrow gate. And then by Christ we walk. And as we walk along that narrow way that leadeth unto life, this good fruit. But we also arrive at our final destination by Christ. Remember we said earlier, we never leave Christ behind. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end of salvation. We enter, we walk By his law. And when we enter into our final rest. It will be because of Christ. Verse 21. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me. Lord, Lord. Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father. Which is in heaven. 
Jesus is pointing out to them that there will be in the visible expression of the church, as religious as they may be, nobody else might have any suspect, suspicion of them at all. There will be a mixed multitude. Jesus lovingly warns them and says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who emphatically declares that Jesus is Lord. And we also need to remind ourselves that word Lord is the Greek translation of the word Jehovah. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is my master. Not everyone who says that or professes that shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who professes to be a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who says that Jesus is Lord is truly born again. They have not entered through that straight and narrow gate. They've entered another way, but the tragic thing is, friends, they think they have. They think they have. They are, look at how shocked they are. Verse 22, many, not just a few. They're not like going, well, I didn't expect to get in anyway. No, there are many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. They're shocked. They can't believe it. Many will say to me in that day. And, and they don't. They just say Lord, Lord. How many. Attend Church. Across Scotland. And this is a reality for them. How many across these two islands? How many in England? How many in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, in Northern Ireland? And they'll stand before them. They believe they've entered into the narrow gate. Walked along the narrow way. They, be- they believe that they have been born again. But they never produced fruit. And we see the fruit... Of what they are producing in verse 22. Look at what they're saying. This is a scary verse. Do you see? It's almost as if they said. Yes we will begin with Christ. But it's going to be my works. That will get me into heaven. Have we not? Once you start saying this. Oh Lord look what I've done. Look at all the charity work I've done. Look at all the hours I've helped this person. Look at all the work I've done for the church. Do you see the danger of it? That we begin perhaps thinking we're beginning with Christ. But then eventually our trust is not in Christ alone. It's in our works. Have we not prophesied in thy name? That's impressive isn't it? If you're in the first century and you've prophesied in the name of Christ, surely you're a believer. And in thy name cast out devils. Well, surely that's an impressive thing for that time. It can never be your defense. Your works can never be your defense. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Please, they cry, let me in. 
Do not cast me out of thy presence. Now what would Jesus say? Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, thou work iniquity. None of them will save you. None of these works will save you. Not once your best five minutes on this earth will not save you. Your best five seconds will not save you. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus will bring you safely to heaven, not your works. To be honest, the trust in your own works is the bad fruit. Our best work Our best moment, the most noble deed we've ever done on this earth is but filthy rags before Almighty God because it still falls short of the glory of God. Even our greatest works are but filthy rags before the Lord. Friends, they can't be your confidence. To trust in Jesus to enter into that gate is to say you have no confidence in your works before your salvation After your salvation, at any point, you have no confidence in your works. This was the temptation for the Galatians. In the Galatian church. It is the the church of Rome's teaching. It will teach a, a form of entering in by grace. And then after that, your works are important. We must not trust our works. Because if we do, Jesus will say to us, I never knew you. Depart from me as we come to the lord's supper as we anticipate as we look forward to that day as believers in jesus christ as we look forward to eating and drinking christ yes spiritually but he is truly present at the table ready to feed his people but friends if you are one of these people I never knew you. You must come to know him. Before you will ever come to the Lord's table. That Jesus is your only hope. Or you will eat and drink damnation unto your soul. But if you are a believer. And you are walking along that narrow way. That leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Christ is there. Offered in the bread and the cup. Food and drink. He's giving you his life. But friends, never, never for one moment get any joy from your works. We only get joy from the finished work of Christ. Amen.